My guest on today's podcast, Lane Kawaoka, talks about building wealth by offering value. And in a world of fake gurus, people know him as the real estate anti-guru, adding tremendous giveaway farm value. He has gone from in early the early 2000s, one rental unit to over 4,800 units today. He's a writer for Forbes, has a top 50 investing podcast, and an Amazon bestseller. But more importantly, what I like about Lane is that he shares his philosophy and his approach and adding value to help others build wealth as well. Be sure to listen to the full episode. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast. It's for you, the busy real estate investor who wants to stand out from the crowd and attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time. My name's Paul Copcut, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes a real estate investor brandtastic and how you can apply it to your real estate investing business. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can begin to implement quickly and easily to get the results you want in your business. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Okay, and welcome to this week's edition of the REI Branded Podcast. And I am pleased to introduce Lane Kaioka, uh, who is from Hawaii. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background on Lane, um, in terms of his background, uh, Lane has been investing for over a decade and now controls over 4,800 units, which is incredible. Uh, he's the owner of several um, website um, places for crowdfundaloa.com, simplepassivecashflow.com, and reialoa.com. And Lane is responsible for finding investment opportunities, analysis, and marketing. Uh, he obtained a BS in industrial engineering and an MS in civil engineering and construction management from the University of Washington. In addition to an analytical engineering background, Lane has real-world experience in working as a project manager for over $250 million of capital construction projects in both the public and private sector. Working as a high-paid professional in corporate America and frustrated by the traditional wealth-building dogma, Lane has compelled himself to inspire and mentor other working professionals via his top 50 investing podcast at simplepassivecashflow.com. So welcome, Lane. And that's probably a great place to kind of kick off what what made the move, you know, why from engineering and construction through to to real estate and what was the the impetus behind that? Because you've got quite an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of got grown up in a family where we we're all taught to be frugal, study hard, work at a job for 40, 50 years. And it sucks like working for the man, right? I mean, a salary is like a bribery they, they give to you so you don't go after your dreams, right? Or go go make four, five, 10x that, 100x that. Right. Um, the fact that somebody's paying you as a salary is the fact that you bring in more revenue at the end of the day. I mean, if not, they wouldn't be having you around. Um, so I started investing in 2009, just buy and hold investing. I don't do any of those flips or wholesaling stuff, no active stuff, just more buy and hold. Um, today, I operate, I got more active once I quit my day job here in 2018. Um, 
once I kind of quit my day job, right? Got financially free um, and then became more of a general partner operator of apartment complexes and syndications. Right. And multifamily is where you tend to focus. Is that what you found is the best? Right, the best right. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us who are probably listening understand the whole workforce housing um, needs. Lower middle class, rents between $700 to $1,400. Um, so that kind of caters towards self-storage, mobile home parks, apartments. But I mean, I just kind of specialize in the apartment arena. So we kind of pick up properties in secondary and tertiary markets. Uh, do a little bit of value add and uh, and just go after cash flow for the most part right off the bat. Right. And how did you manage uh, for nine years, kind of full time working plus the real estate investing piece? What What were the strategies or tips that you would give people who are again probably quite a few people listening might be in a similar situation, working that nine to five, but thinking or dreaming one day they want to get out of it? What, what are yeah. the kind of strategies? I mean, back then I was broke, right? Like I was, you know, I had a good six figure paying job, but, and I was able to save maybe 40 to $60,000 a year from my day job. So that was kind of my advantage. And I used that to, you know, go into 20% down payments, but it was a slow, slow grind. I mean, I bought my first one in 09, bought the next one in Seattle in 2011. And then I started to get into these turnkey rentals. Um, so a lot of them is, I mean, I'm not getting, I'm not doing my own property management. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm using and leveraging other people. So you as the investor need to be able to manage other people and keep them accountable. But in the beginning, the first five years, I mean, they didn't have that many properties. Um, it wasn't until 2015. I would say it was that six years later. I had 11 rental properties and, you know, the tips are just don't be a bonehead, right? Keep people accountable via email. If something needs to get fixed. Well, ask your property manager, what is their plan, right? You empower the people that work for you to get what needs done. Um, ask them what their plan is. What is their timelines? Follow up with them. Are they halfway, you know, halfway between that deadline? Are they on the right path there? It's no different than the stuff I did in corporate America as a, co- a construction supervisor or anybody else out there as a project manager. I think I think you just hit on the on the thing that it sounds like you run it very much like a project management system, or do you do you have systems in place? Or yeah, um, it very much is. Except you know, it's my money, right? So I'm a little <laughs> bit more stingy with it and keep my eye on it, as opposed to you know the 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 millions of dollars of construction projects I I did at my day job, which wasn't my money, right? (laughs) (laughs) What was, what was the uh, trigger? What, what, what made you, or what suddenly happened around, I think you said 2018, um, that went, you know, you went from that 11 properties to where you are now over 4,800. Yeah, I mean, so the real pivot happened around 2015 when I had 11 properties. You know, at that point, I realized I got around other high net worth accredited investors, and a lot of them kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, you know, accredited investors don't own rental properties. I mean, you do all this work to buy a one rental property, and what do you do? You have a few hundred bucks of cash flow. And at the time, I had 11 of them. So, you know, $3,000 of passive cash flow a month, you know, not bad, right? I mean, I would have. Love to have that when I started in 2009. 
right? As a young 20 year old kid, but I don't know what American family can survive off $3,000 of passive cash flow a year or a month. Um, you're going to need more like $10,000 a month is what most of my clients kind of shoot for as intermediate goal today. So you're going to need 30 of these houses. Um, with 11 houses, I had maybe a fiction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a tree falling on the house or some kind of plumbing, big plumbing repair that I had to micromanage the property manager to get done. Um, on that scale, it's no problem. But 30 houses, you know, you multiply that exception rate by three times and you quickly realize it's not scalable. And until you get around other high net worth credit investors who kind of, you know, the group think, you know, has moved on past that type of stuff, you, you know, you don't kind of move on. And what do you move on to? Well, private placements and syndications in multitude of different um, of these opportunities. And kind of, I, spe- I, I kind of naturally transitioned into apartment investing. And getting more involved in those types of projects um, and why does it make more sense for a passive investor well you don't get any liability as the general partners take on all the management burden they play asset managers so you don't do anything and you know no debt gets put in the passive investor's name um, today myself as a general partner i put the debt in my name on behalf of my investors um, and they're just stronger assets right because when you're under 50 to 100 units, you don't get the economies of scale and it's just so competitive. Anybody can do real estate. And that's the reason why we want to get out of that lower run on the Paul investor realm you know, for assets trading under $5 million or so. Right. So what are the things that you do? Uh, have you taken that kind of, sounds like the, the other high net worth investors kind of gave you that kind of mastermind or mentoring element is that something that you now look to create with the people that you work with and the, the student i'm assuming it's students that you work with or right right i mean i i went around and did more masterminds as an operator right but these were the techniques that i kind of picked up subconsciously along the way uh, so what i do today is kind of focus on helping out pa- passive investors not general partners not operators but people that just have a lot of money from their day jobs, they might have owned a handful of rental properties, but they kind of realize the passive path is the way to go. So the curriculum that we kind of teach is one third is like, you know, syndication deals, what deals to go into. Um, people just merely want to learn that. I would say just go to my website or pick up my syndication e-course for passive investors on that. But as far as the, my mastermind goes today, you know, two Another third is is surrounded around the tax and the legal stuff. Now, I'm not a CPA or attorney, but I know what high net worth people do. I know the way to architect this all to happen, and then we refer out to the professionals to put the paperwork together. But you know, this is where high net worth investors need to empower themselves to learn the taxes on their own. Because I mean, most people have bad CPAs out there, and even if they're a good CPA, most of them are lazy. You don't want to do it the hard way. And it's a little bit more riskier for, you know, to put their practice um, on the line to do some of these tactics. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you got to be the architect of your own financial future. Taxes are your number one expense in life. So we empower people to um, and educate them to learn about this stuff. And then, and of course, the, the last component of the mastermind, which I don't think most people really grasp until they're maybe a year or two into the group, is, you know, these soft skills. Right. Many of us are first-generation wealth people. 
our parents didn't have a million dollars. My parents didn't have a million dollars, for goodness sake. They didn't have any rental properties. Well, how do we create our family structures, our trusts? How do we build that like that vision for our future heirs to take over our wealth so we don't turn into the 90% of people out there who just squander their wealth in two to three generations and just have a bunch of trust fund kids? Mm. That's kind of the, the softer skills that we kind of help people to develop. And and touching on your your parents, uh, you shared uh, in your in your story about their experience with the stock market, and and that was sounds like one of the catalysts for you to really kind of put yourself out there and say this doesn't need to happen this way, and it can be done differently. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, this kind of occurred to me very early on in my investing career. You know, when I was buying the rental properties. I mean, they weren't that great deals in my opinion, but I was making like 20 to 30% returns on money at least. When you include the tax benefits, the mortgage pay down, the cash flow, and the, the fact that your tenants are you know paying down your mortgage for you, right? So, and I look at my 401k garbage, right? Eight to 10%. I'm like, why the heck would I want to do that? Right. And then I started to uncover this whole system is engineered to have hardworking professionals such as myself, people that went to college, people that worked really hard to grow, climb the corporate ladder, to work for 40, 50 years, putting your money in this inefficient retirement system or mutual funds where just all these big brokerages are taking all the returns for themselves. So I kind of went out there on a warpath. And one of my missions is just to educate people that a lot of that is just a sham. And it's the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Pay no attention to that type of stuff. Because if, if everybody just followed what I did and just bought a handful of the rentals, they'd be on the path to financial freedom a heck of a lot faster than the traditional method. And at the same respect, like if if everybody did what I did, like, you know, who would build our bridges? Who would get our coffee? Who would do all these city services, right? Like not everybody can do this and not everybody will. And when you're building your brand, as you were building your business and building that position, did it ever, because it's, it's quite a strong kind of brand position versus I think most investors, or at least a lot of the investors I come across are kind of just wanting to get out there, put themselves, in, you know, put themselves out enough that they're going to attract either joint venture or, or um, uh, you know, get the right, get the right deals. But you know, taking a stronger stand, it, there's a risk to to turning people off. Is that anything that kind of occurred to you, or was it something you said, "No, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to stick with it"? And that's. I mean, if people don't want to listen, that's fine with me, right? I mean, most people aren't are are not going to do anything anyway, right? So, what point does it make? I mean, to offend some people. Um, a lot of older people, and not to hate on older people, but somewhere along the path, they develop a, a kind of like a self-worth meaning from their day job or buying a house to live in, right? They, they associate their self-worth to one of these really dogmatic financial goals, which I don't necessarily agree with, right? Buying a house to live in. To me, it doesn't really make too much financial sense when you compare it with investing in rental real estate putting your money in that where it grows more conservatively and just gambling in the case of your house. Um, and, you know, but that's the thing, right? With any idea, 
in the past. It's always vindicated. It's always, you know, it's, it's a clash. Um, but I mean, it's me against the, uh, the establishment, right? The establishment wants you to go buy houses, get loans on their primary residence. So the brokers can make their commissions. The, the big brokerages, vanguards, fidelities, they all want you to invest in their garbage funds so that they could get their big fees and their hidden carried interests. I mean, someone's right. I, I just employ people to just, you know, think with their, with their, with numbers, right? The numbers don't lie. Right. And how have you gone about kind of marketing yourself? Um, what are the, what are the steps or, um, tools that you've used that have helped you get your name out there and get noticed and, and build you both your, obviously your own investing portfolio, but then also your programs. Yeah. So I started um, podcasting back in 2016 as a way to kind of teach people how to buy single family home rentals. Um, lately, as I became more of an accredited investor, the, the topics have obviously changed to syndications, private placements, uh, taxes, the more subjects that kind of support the more accredited investor. But, you know, like for me, it's podcasting, just kind of sharing my story. It's been kind of a follow my journey type of, um, uh, type of platform. And I think people enjoy that or they see the authenticity to it. Um, I don't always do things the right way. I change my mind as, you know, I discover new things. Um, it is what it is, right? That's, but hopefully people can learn from my mistakes. Um, and I just, I just kind of keep talking about it and I just kind of explain my reasoning and it kind of helps me to kind of get it in, hit in my, in my head, like a big thing that like, I think a lot of people go through is like, do I put money in my 401k or retirement account? And my question is flat out. No, but to explain it on a YouTube video or a podcast, and start to structure an argument, a four-point argument on that. Um, you know, that takes a little bit of work, right? And, but that's something I'm willing to do because it's something that I need to go through the pros and cons myself to convince myself to do such thing uh, where mm -hmm. it kind of goes in the face of everything you're taught out there, right? But to me, it makes no sense. Right. And what, where are you going now? What's the, the, what are the next steps for, for Lane and... What are the plans? So we continue to pick up uh, more properties at Cashflow. Um, the reason why we do that is that way we're sort of insulated from the economy, right? Like we're not house flippers. We're not fur people. We're not wholesalers. We don't gamble on appreciation. We buy with existing cash flow in place. So if there is a recession at any point in time, you know, we're good. And if there's, and how do we make extra money? Well, we force appreciate the property as we're cash flowing. So, I mean, that's my investment strategy. And I think we'll just keep continuing there. Vince Wash would be, you know. What, where are you seeing? I don't, I don't know if you kind of keep track of the Canadian market or whether you invest in Canada, but at the moment, the Canadian market is a really hot real estate market. And I'm assuming some of the markets in the US are very similar as well. Where are the opportunities? Where, how, do, how do you continue to? find the right opportunities what are the things that people should be looking out for i mean we folk first thing is like just picking emerging markets i'm sure people have heard, heard that term a zillion times um here in america the 
to me, the emerging markets is based on rent increases per year. It's a statistic I look at very closely. I feel like that one statistic kind of bought, like it brings in population growth and economic growth into one. I don't really look at like residential prices. To me, that's all like emotion. And right now, it's just a mere fact that there's no supply out there. It could be higher demand, could be less demand. But we know what's, what's sure is like there's lower supply, which is what pushing up the prices. And this is why I stay the heck out of uh, residential real estate because it's all based on emotion. This is why I stay in the commercial realm where it's based on an operating income, what the property produces, which is something I can control. So, you know, that's emerging markets, um, places where the rent increases are continually going up very consistently are places like Phoenix, Arizona, Texas, which is Houston, Dallas. Um, I like Huntsville, Alabama. Um, those are the markets that I play in. But, you know, for, I hear good things about Florida and the Carolinas. I just, at that point, you know, you have to focus in on your relationships and getting going deep, right? The kind of, you know, just kind of willy-nilly just going on a high level, picking some random markets and just getting some deals from there. Um, I think part of our secret sauce is we've closed... I mean, dozens of hundred unit buildings. So brokers know who we are. We're proven closers. So we get to the forefront of the list on a lot of these off-market deals. And even when there are multiple bids, you know, we're kind of put out there as proven closers, which is what brokers like in the commercial realm. Uh, don't know if I can say, you know, I can speak for experience on the residential single family home side, but you know, that's that's the world in commercial. Right. And that's, you've made a good point there because what you're doing with that reputation of being able to close is that's part of your brand, isn't it? That's So a broker is going to say, well, here's two people that I know, but your reputation is here and brand is reputation. So if you're known as a group that closes, then you're much more likely to be preferenced that way. Right, right. I mean, there's there's kind of two fronts, right? We we kind of face, which is the, our client end, which were our investors, um, and then like while you're saying, what is our business and right our our business development on lending partners, the banks, we need to look like professionals on that end, and at the brokers, we need to look like even professional closers on that end too. I mean, it, it kind of stems from values. Right. I mean, we say what we're going to do. We we are fun, you know, people, but we are very serious in what we do, and we respect people, and we don't retrade. Right? We don't go into a deal and kind of, you know, going in with the intention of picking out all this random stuff and retrading and being that guy. Um, we say what we're going to do, and if we see something we want to retrade on, we build up a mathematical argument and we present it and we work. Um, we try and align ourselves with the sellers and come to an amicable solution, whether that is, you know, a price concession or, you know, we just, we, we, we do more digging, get more information on something that we're looking at. So for an example, like what are the ages of all the HVACs, right? A lot of times we'll just settle at a price concession, that type of thing. Um, or if we can, maybe we get service records, right? To substantiate the overall health of the HVAC system the multiple dozens and dozens of HVACs um, just as one thing. But um, yeah, I think people like working with us. And um, I know that lately that's how we've gotten a couple deals 
that have only gone up to us is closing a deal. And the broker's like, shoot, it was like one of the smoothest closings I've ever done. <laughs> and then on the investor side, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always pretty transparent. Like we, we show investors what we use for our projections and what more importantly, what are the assumptions? Cause I can show you whatever projection people want to see by fudging a few numbers in the spreadsheet, right? As most people know. Um, but we show people what we use for assumptions so we can say, Hey, like, you know, look underneath the hood, you know, we're all going to be stuck in this deal in the next five years, you know, make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, what we're trying to do is under promise over deliver. So things can happen in the future that are outside our control. Yes, we try to account for some of that uncertainty and for things not to go away from time to time. But um, that's, that's like, you know, I think that's where we want alignment with our investors on that side too. I think you've really underlined a couple of really key elements for me around, you know, around brand is, is that values piece and the transparency, if that's, uh, and that that probably differentiates you from other people as well, in terms that you have that open kind of open book, if you like. Um, is that something that you would recommend other investors look at or consider, or what else would you suggest that people? I mean, it's, it's got to fit as your, trying to build their brand. It's got to fit your personality too, and I think part of it comes from like, we just have a good product. I mean, where else can you make a higher return with, you know, less headaches, um, a better underwritten asset that's institutional, that has great loans backing it in case things go wrong? I mean, it's kind of like you're a major league baseball pitcher and you've got a 102 mile per hour fastball. You just get up, you just sling it. See if you can hit <laughs> it, right? So, I mean, that's our attitude. If not, we go back and work on back under the hood and work on our stuff right to get to that point now i mean i think this is indicative of people who don't have the best product out there you have an unsecured product what do you do well now you got to do all these trickster games very common the multi-level marketing world right they sell a bunch of supplements that are probably not as good as what's the best product out there so you got to rely on all these tricks and games you know, tricks and games are for kids when you don't have the best product out there. I like that. Tricks and games are for your kids. Right? That's where like the cartoon rabbit up is part of the cereal box. <laughs> so what about your favorite brand? Um, what's your favorite brand and, and why? Ooh, I, I like you know, cars. I like Mercedes. I don't know why. I've always liked that. I don't drive them anymore, but like for me, like I think they used to like sponsor the Mercedes championships of Maui. And I would go to that as a kid. And I was like, Oh, that's a cool car. Right. Cause the winner would get like the AMG convertible, right? The $300,000 car. And it was just the brand or Aurora. And now, you know, as an adult, I kind of see right through all that type of nonsense, right? It's just branding, but you know what? Like they they spent a lot of money to build that brand, and it was a good investment on that part because when people buy that stuff, it's an aspirational type of product. 
Um, they know kind of what they're getting, even though it is really the same thing, like a Honda or Toyota. I mean, it's all built in the same plants for the most part um, that our tenants live in. We're in uh, like a Huntsville. We have our Toyota Mazda plant like a few miles away from our apartment. You know, I know Mercedes is in, in Georgia. The same people building this stuff, same materials, but the same. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's why they can command 10, 20% more in price for the same thing. And I don't know if it's the same thing. I'm sure it's a little bit more, a little bit more superior product, but maybe yeah. that's a brand I mean, name, right? Yeah, they, I mean, they well, and, and the marketing that they spend not just on promoting their <clears throat> their cars, but I was watching the um, the Netflix series about the Formula One racing, and some of the smaller teams on on there are spending maybe fifty or a hundred million a year. Mercedes spends six hundred million a year on their race team. If they've all got two drivers, they've all got two cars, but Mercedes is spending six to twelve times more than most of the other teams it's phenomenal what they'll throw at that just to have that slight edge which i'm assuming translates to a big upside on the right. on the consumer side but so. they're not dummies they wouldn't be spending it if they wouldn't <laughs> be getting the roi on it right right I I mean, they're, they're not some guy just putting a whole bunch of facebook ads out if you're not getting the roi on Now you you have uh, you mentioned your own podcast. Um, do you have a favorite business book or podcast that you uh, that you enjoy? Um, you know, I don't listen to too many podcasts these days. I mean, I'm not a. I feel like a lot of it is like kind of the same thing over and over again. If you've been listening for more than a year, I think it's a great place to start. That's for sure. Um, as far as like real estate books, Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller is one I always recommend for like the basics and fundamentals. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I follow the 70 20 10 rule of learning. So, like 10% of it is the academic stuff. And that's the books, that's the podcasts. So, you know, 10% is a very small minority of the whole picture. 20% of it is, you know, mentorship or getting around other peers doing the same thing. So that's what I would implore people to do more of is like, get out of your shell, you know, stop listening to your air, get your AirPods out of your ears, and other people or get on the phone, right? Nobody talks mm -hmm. on the phone these days. I talk to my investors all the time. The reason why it's so effective is because nobody talks to each other. Nobody gets to know each other these days. And then, you know, going back to that 70, 20, 10 rule, 70% is just doing it, getting out there and learning it. I think that's why we've been so successful because we get out there and we do deals. I like it. Uh, any favorite current favorite tool or resource that you're using? Um, I like Asana for like project management, uh, managing my teams. Mm -hmm. You know, email is kind of a dinosaur. Kind of what we're going to be always stuck with the thing, but you know, so you can ghost other people who are outside. You know, not clients either you want to hide from but there's no hiding from asana you know you assign somebody in your team a task um it always it's always going to be there until it gets done right? and then the paper trail is always there yep i i use Basecamp, which is probably very similar and, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah another I, very I like similar tool it. yeah and a favorite quote any favorite quote that you kind of or mantra that you follow um uh, 
you know, I, I forget who said it, but if you help enough people get what they want, you're going to get what you want eventually. Um, um, Nightingale dude. I don't know. I don't even know yeah. what his first name, I but I feel it, like yeah, that's it been, Yeah. But that, I mean, that's what I try to do, Rome? you know, probably. Yeah. I mean, they're all Tony Robbins, Jim Rome, right? It's all like, how I, um, what is that? Uh, other rich thing or what was that? Where, um, grow think and grow rich right right it's all it's all kind of regurgitated stuff from that book essentially but you know here i am you know trying to do deals trying to meet people like at the end of the day we're just trying to help people get to where they want to be financially so if i just kind of focus on doing that i mean those are the actions and attitude that's going to get to me where i want to be right because people Wealth comes from to those people who create value, right? So if you're flipping houses or for us, we're value adding apartments, we're creating better living conditions to our tenants, creating value. We're also creating value for our investors, but at the end of the day, we're creating value for the tenants. That's what we're getting compensated for to pay back investors with that money. So this is where I'm like, you know, a lot of people are just transactional people. They buy sell things on amazon buy those so high like technically you're somebody wants to buy it at a higher price you find it at a lower price i mean are you really making value to the system or you're just kind of like sucking you know money out of it you know like true wealth comes to true wealth comes to those people who create value and that is where sustainable wealth comes from buy low so high you know that stuff turns on and off all the time you hear about it all the time. Oh, so-and-so is making a kill and do that. Well, you break it down. Are they really creating value? Or a, they just found a little loophole that's going to close eventually. I love that quote. That is, wealth comes to those who add value. I think that's a great, great quote. Any final words of advice? And, and how can people kind of get hold of you? What's the best place to find you? Uh, no, just be authentic. I think people like that. Uh, everybody likes to talk to that guru sales guy which i kind of try and be the opposite of of people it really is to be honest and um if they want to check out my podcast go to simplepassivecashflow.com uh, it's on itunes google play i think it's simple passive cash flow real estate investing passive real estate investing and um yeah get out there and buy some rentals get some more assets okay wonderful thank you for your time lane have a fantastic day Right. Thanks, Paul. And if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free REI brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.